Hi, and welcome to Students of the Word. My name is Corey Olson, host of the Bible Study, and what you're about to hear is a recording of the first live session of the Students of the Word study, which was recorded on February 6th, 2022. This Bible study is open to anyone who wants to attend. I ran the session over Zoom, and there were about 80 people present in the first live session. You'll hear me read out their comments and questions as I go through. I don't have time for much editing, unfortunately, so I apologize for that, but I wanted to make the recording available to folks who couldn't make the session live. This first session is mostly introductory explanations and groundwork, but we do in the end get several words into 1 John 1.1, which I think is pretty good progress, actually. In any case, here we go. Welcome to Students of the Word. Students of the Word is the sort of name that I've given to the study as a whole. Um, and the name Students of the Word is designed, it's, uh, you know, it, it means two different things, right? On the one hand, of course, it is very common, um, you know, in the Christian community to talk about the Bible as the Word. And so we are all students of the Word. This is a Bible study, right? We're going to be studying the Bible together. Um, but of course, Students of the Word also has a separate meeting. The, the word, the word student, um, uh, we're, you know, most people are familiar, uh, Christian and non-Christian alike familiar with the word disciple, uh, very, uh, prominent word, uh, in the new Testament, Jesus's disciples. And, um, but of course the word disciple, it means student. Uh, I mean, we don't use the word disciple much anymore, uh, in that context. Um, it has, uh, a, a, achieved a, a much narrower, uh, meaning uh, in modern English, um, but the word means student, um, and so students of the word also means disciples uh, of Jesus, the word, as he is called, and we'll get into that relatively soon here, talking about First John. Um, so that is, uh, uh, you know, kind of partly declaring my intentions here, um, uh, that, and I'll get to, I'll get to some of that. I got, I've got, got a bunch of emails uh, this week already from folks uh, asking questions and wanting me to kind of clarify what I'm, what we're doing and what we're not doing here. So that's what I want to start off by doing here. I'm going to kind of, I need to lay some groundwork and explain the parameters uh, of what we're going to be doing, what, what I'm going to be doing and what we're not going to be doing uh, in this discussion, just to kind of put everything on the table for everybody. So they know, everybody knows where we're coming from. It does mean uh, I'm not sure how much of the text we're going to get to today. Um, I do hope to make a start on the text, but as those of you who know me will know, I'm not in a hurry to get through the text. So it'll be all right. Whenever we get to it and however much we get to, we'll also be good. Um, uh, yeah, I see a couple comments about um, uh, about would it be possible to set up a discussion somewhere for in between? Yeah, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about that. I'm kind of doing this as I go along in some ways, but yeah, uh, uh, Chris, I'd really like uh, to be able uh, to do that. So we'll, I'll, I'll work on that uh, and keep you posted. My first project is going to be to set up the asynchronous delivery channels for people. I am going to be posting recordings uh, of, um, uh, of, of our sessions here so that people can listen to them after the fact or, uh, or watch them after the fact. So, uh, we'll, uh, uh, we'll see, uh, we'll see how, uh, uh, how, how that goes too. Haven't, haven't, uh, posted my own podcast episodes in many years. Uh, so we'll see how that goes anyway. Um, so let me start by, with the what we're not doing here <laughs> portion of my introductory material. Um, uh, first, let me just say, I'm not 
a Bible scholar. I'm no expert. Um, I don't even know Greek. Um, these are things that have deterred me for many years. I, I've toyed with the idea off and on of doing a Bible study, um, but I've never done it. And one of the primary reasons I've never done it is my awareness, my exhilarating awareness of my own uh, inadequacy. Um, so I, um, you know, I, this is something that I've always been sort of shy of doing. Um, I, you know, have many years of experience in teaching, uh, you know, the, the careful analysis of books. Um, and it's something that I really enjoy doing and that I think um, is the, you know, the kind of reading and the kind of approach uh, that certainly I've always found works very well uh, when approaching scripture. But, but as I said, I've always felt um, uh, sort of nervous to put myself forward because I don't want anybody to think I'm claiming to be uh, an expert. You know, this, this is not about me saying, I know everything the Bible's talking about and trying to explain it to you. I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not here for that <laughs> because that is something I don't have. I'm here because I feel it to be a matter of obedience. Um, uh, I'll, tell you the story uh, in a little bit, uh, how that came about. But a few other things that I want to explain about uh, what we're not doing. Um, this is not going to be a secular study. I don't know, you know, just in case there are some who might think that, 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 that is what is not happening here. Um, one of the things, among the things not happening here, um, this is not like a, a, literature professor who is, you know, going to be doing a sort of Bible as literature study. That's not what's happening here either. Um, uh, <laughs> sidebar, Bible as literature courses, like in English departments are one of my, like that phrase, but Bible as literature uh, is one of my, um, uh, it's a, it's definitely on my pet peeve list. Um, uh, I, <laughs> annoys me four different ways. I don't know whether to be more annoyed by it uh, as a Christian or as a, a, a literature teacher. Um, but um, anyway, it's um, not what we're doing here. Um, we're going to, this is designed to be a real Bible study that we'll be talking about We'll not only be talking about the text and what the text says, we'll be doing some application, I hope, right? I mean, my own prayer in entering into this is that I will be learning and discovering more of God's wisdom through our discussion. So this is for me a wholly practical matter um, and not just one of theoretical discussion. Um, uh, so the other... Um, Interesting that Serena says the a Bible as literature course did a whole lot of damage to my Bible reading ability for years for over a decade. Uh, totally, uh, totally hear that. That was always my fear. It's why I always refuse to teach one um, because I'm like, no, I can't undertake that kind of thing. Um, but um, anyway, um, the 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 other thing, another thing that this is not. Um, this is not going to be, it's not intended to be a sort of beginner place for finding out about Christianity. Uh, this study is not, I'm not 
meaning to be what in the evangelical tradition, which is where I grew up, where I've come from, um, uh, is called seeker friendly. That is, I'm not going to be going out of my way uh, to, you know, carefully use vocabulary that's going to be, you know, uh, uh, open, you know, open to ever. I'm going to be using some in-house jargon and stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be debating about the fundamental basis of Christianity. I'm not, um, that's not the goal uh, of this session. To quote from 1 John, uh, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, he says, I have not written these things to you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. Um, I've written these things to you because you already know the truth. That's where First John lives. Um, First John is not an introductory uh, course. It is not Gospel 101. Um, uh, now, of course, to some extent, almost all of the New Testament was written with an intended audience of people who already believed, but First um, John, more emphatically so. Interesting, yeah, Mike says... Um, uh, I can't find anyone studying the Bible with a goal to do anything but reach seekers. Um, looking forward to Christians talking about something they're trying to live and that not thoughtlessly or starting just last week. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, that's very much, Mike, where my, that's very much the reason why I started this. Very much kind of my my heart there. Um, uh, let me, uh, some have asked me, you know, like about a statement of faith or anything. My statement of faith is really broad. Here's one. Uh, this will work. The Apostles' Creed. Um, I affirm this, right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Um, I affirm these things, um, but what's more, this is the starting point. I don't um, have any concrete plans um, to uh, like defend or explain um, any of these things that are in here. Um, I'm going to be starting from the assumption that uh, the people who are involved in this study accept these. Now, keep in mind, this doesn't mean just because I say I'm not focused, I'm not trying to exclude anybody either. Anyone is welcome to follow along and watch this and participate in our discussion. What I'm trying to say is I'm trying to talk about what our conversation is going to be on, right? So if you were to be somebody who has no experience whatsoever with Christianity, um, or, you know, you are, a, you know, a non-believer in Christianity and want to, uh, you know, discuss or debate these things, I respect that. I really do respect that. Um but it's just, this isn't going to be that place. Um, maybe, maybe we can meet again on a different place, uh, in a different place, in a different time, uh, and have those conversations. I'm just kind of warning you that that's not going to be the conversations that are going to be happening here. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's all. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so I just, again, I, I just, I'm, I'm just wanting to be explicit about this and let me add one last thing. Um, I 
also another thing that I, the last thing that I'm not going to be doing um, is I don't want to be engaging in any kind of purely sectarian debate. Um, that is any debate, um, you know, based on different doctrinal or denominational uh, views or standpoints. Um, my goal for this is, again, sort of in the C.S. Lewis model, a, a mere Christianity approach. Um, I believe that any Christian of any sort and of any background should be able to participate cheerfully in our discussions. Um, I have, as I say, I have no interest whatsoever uh, in debating specific doctrinal differences or uh, or creedal, not, not creedal, but I mean, this is creedal, right? There's the creed right there, um, uh, or denominational differences. Uh, I mean, and I would say even more strongly, and we'll get to this, uh, um, if, if any, if any of us do have the impulse to uh, kind of differ with each other uh, in this way, or, or kind of debate on some of these points. If we do, um, this epistle is going to get up in our faces pretty quick, actually, uh, very quickly, um, uh, because that's something that uh, uh, John is going to en- engage with very, very soon. Um, so we we should work to set this aside. I mean, I, divisions among believers and especially animosity between believers um it is a sin and a disgrace and let us work to set it aside that is indeed going to be one of the things uh that is going to be a central topic uh of uh of john's in the epistle so okay so what are we doing (laughs) in fact having gone through a bunch of what we're not doing let me tell the story about why I'm doing this. I said before that it was an act of obedience. Um, I am, um, as I said, my own um, background is uh, evangelical, sort of vaguely Baptist flavored evangelical, I guess is how I would, how I would describe it. Uh, you know, my own kind of upbringing and, um, and uh, tradition. Um, and Mike, exactly as you were um, exactly as you were pointing before, um, most of the sort of effort um, within, you know, that tradition, the, the evangelical tradition that I come from is on making Christians, right? On convincing people to believe in Jesus and to give their lives to Jesus. But but what then? What, what happens then, right? Um, and this is something that I have myself been very convicted about lately. I've been kind of reading and thinking and praying a lot um, about this. Um, and yet, Christopher, Christopher says, yeah, uh, not just there, the Methodists are terrified of our shrinking numbers. Yes, exactly, right? Um, uh, footnote, I personally think that if you judge this, if one judges the success of one's church by the number of people sitting in the pews, I think maybe we're doing it wrong. But Anyway, um, yeah, praise, you've exactly anticipated uh, my next slide, which is the Great Commission, right? So like, what was it that Jesus told us to do, right? Um, And it was only relatively recently uh, that I I kind of was sitting down with this and I was reading some things and and this just kind of hit me really hard. 
Um, this is uh, from the New American Standard. And Jesus came up and this is the end of Matthew, of course, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, Jesus doesn't say go out and make converts, right? Like go out and, and like increase membership lists, go out and, you know, like get people to sign the form or like, you know, get them to pray the sinner's prayer, then like cross them off the list and focus on other people, right? That's not what the great commission is. Notice that the beginning and at the end, um, he talks about teaching, right? Go therefore and make disciples. That is students, right? Make students of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And um, I don't know about you, but I look around the modern Christian church uh, and say, what do I see? Do I see lots of people doing everything that Jesus commanded us? No, not so much, right? Not so much. Um, and uh, so maybe we should, maybe we should do this more, right? <laughs> maybe this is something. Um, maybe this should always. Uh, maybe this should actually should actually happen. Um, Aiden, that's a really interesting observation. Aiden says, "I'm from a vaguely Baptist-flavored evangelical background, also, and I've always felt a little out of place as someone terrible at evangelism." Me too. Me too. I've always been terrible at evangelism, and I've always felt, uh, on some level, like kind of a failure because I don't like, you know, try to, uh, you know, convert the, you know, diner waitress that I'm talking to or whatever. Like, you know, I. Yeah, like where I'm eating, you know what I mean? Like there's that that kind of model, right? There's sort of that kind of uh, that kind of ideal that that's like what it what it means to be, you know, like a spirit filled Christian. And um, yeah, Zach says at one point I started feeling like a used car salesman. Yeah, no, exactly. I was always super uncomfortable with that. Um, uh, yeah, so I've um, um, I. As I say, I, I was doing a lot of reflection on this passage on the Great Commission and really sort of realizing, man, this is all things considered, seems to be based on the empirical evidence, right? Seems to be something the modern church has not really done a fabulous job in executing, right? So again, I'm coming back to my story here, right? So um I get to this point, right? And 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 I remember that so there's this one day when I was praying about this. And I was, I was feeling full of conviction, you know, but it was that safe kind of conviction, <laughs> safe because it was safely sort of third person, right? It's, you know, I mean, you've, you've probably been there before, right? Where like, basically what I was praying was like, oh yeah, I, I, I see this need, right? I see this need, this really, need, um, you know, the, the church that, that's that's my favorite, right? The church needs to do something about the. Somebody needs to do something about this, right? This is really, um, this is this should happen. And then you know, I'm praying, and then I'm like, um, oh wait, wait a second. Um, uh, ooh, <laughs> you know, what I mean, I'm supposed to do something. So then I go through this. Um, 
you know, second stage, right? Uh, in the prayer <laughs> where I'm like, well, see, I, you know, the problem, and it, and, it, and it grieves my spirit. It really does grieve my spirit that I just like, I don't, um, what can I do? Right. What am I supposed to do about this? I'm like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not like I have no standing in any church. Um, um, I've not even been a regular member of a church, especially since the pandemic. And, and um, you know, I'm anyway. So, so I'm like, I, yeah, I'm like, yeah. So I'm just going to go back to praying for like change in the church, you know, uh, which is nice and safe. But anyway, so I'm like, yeah, I'm like, what can I do? And then, but then I get, you know, I get this um, uncomfortable <laughs> feeling that I'm dodging things. Right. And so I'm like, so I confronted it and I'm like, God, I like, I don't understand. What am I supposed to, I'm like, what can I possibly do? Uh, what can, what can I possibly do to have any impact on this? And I just got like, um, a lot of, uh, silence, <laughs> right. I mean, like, uh, I had the vague impression uh, that God was just kind of looking at me <laughs> like this, like sort of waiting. And then I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So, right. I mean, I suppose I kind of have been working for 12 years on like teaching online and reaching audiences around the world. And I guess in theory that could be kind of applied <laughs> in this sort of general direction. Maybe I'm, maybe it's not actually impossible for me to do something here. Uh, if that's what I'm being asked to anyway, like the whole, like if I had to characterize um, what seemed to me like God's um, uh, response uh, to <laughs> the direction of my prayers was like a divine face palm, but gentle divine face palm, uh, like waiting for that penny uh, to drop there. Um, and I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> okay, fine. And so here we are. So I'm beginning this study um, because it seemed like that was <laughs> what I was supposed to be doing. Um, for those of you who know uh, C.S. Lewis's Paralandra, by the way, um, you will remember a very similar trajectory in that um, amazing description that Lewis does of Ransom's, uh, that sort of prayer moment when he's right before he uh, fights the unman. Um, and the, the, the similar kind of like ways in which he's trying to escape and gets cornered and, and feels the answer coming towards him. Um, I have uh, always felt that that passage in that book captures <laughs> that, that authentic experience of, uh, uh, of kind of confronting calling like that. Um, Devorah says that passage is so uncomfortable. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, yes. Yes. Uncomfortable in, um, uh, uh, in, in some very speaking ways. Um but uh, anyway, so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So what are we going to do? What's, how, did, how, <laughs> how have I responded and what am I planning? We're going to talk about first John. Um, um, what, what we're going to do is what I do. We're going to look at the text. We're going to look at the text carefully. Um, for those of you who haven't been in studies with me, um, this is not going to be brief. Um, 
there are 105 verses in first John and I'll be surprised. I'll be very surprised if we're done discussing this within a year. Um, if I, if I can contrive to discuss two verses per session, um, it's, uh, it's going to be, um, I think a lot, uh, because not only are we going to be discussing, we're going to be applying, we're going to be discussing, uh, you know, we're going to be like discussing, you know, with, you know, sort of sharing and stuff as well. So there's more to be done than merely the analysis of the text, of course, as well. Um, I know two verses a session does seem like kind of reckless speed. Uh, Serena, I agree. Um, but um We'll see. We'll see. I, who knows? Maybe I'll end up going faster than I think. That doesn't usually happen, but who knows? Maybe it'll be the first time. Um, I chose First John, uh, as I said on my my little web page. I chose First John because I don't understand it. Um, it was very soon after um, I had, uh, well, soon after I had started, you know, sort of reflecting on the Great Commission and thinking about some of that stuff. Um, that. Um, I started reading First uh, John, and I was drawn to it for exactly just because I don't understand it. I never understood it, and so I um, I came to it saying, "All right, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna read through this carefully." Um, I it was, and, and I and I I went there because I had been, um, I went there because I had been deciding. I in my own Bible reading, I've been doing a lot of uh, um, sort of big picture reading, like reading through whole books and, you know, like reading through the Bible end to end that, you know, like a few chapters a day and that kind of thing. I'd been doing that for a while and I decided, okay, I really want to, um, I really want to focus in um, on uh, one text, really try to kind of dig in and read it carefully. Um, And so, you know, and, and really see if I can wrestle with it. So I was like, fine, first John, because I don't get First John at all. Um, no matter how many times I'd read First John, I'd never understood it. Uh, so I was like, "All right, let's do that." Um, and I started reading it. And actually, um, I also started applying a new discipline that I'd never done before, which is memorization. Um, I uh, started memorizing uh, First John, doing uh, long form memorization. I've actually just finished. Um, uh, I um, it's by the way, awesome. I like strongly recommend this. The way I did it was I just, um, I started memorizing a verse a day, just one verse a day. Um, but doing the whole thing so that, you know, and then, you know, memorizing and being able to recite chunks and then kind of putting the chunks together. Um, and, uh, as it, as it happened, uh, and I didn't plan it, I didn't even realize that it was going to happen until, uh, last Saturday, I think, when I counted ahead. Um, I actually just memorized the last verse yesterday. Uh, so I've, uh, I've, I've, I've been, you know, going through carefully and, and, and uh, uh, memorizing it. Strongly recommend long-form memorization. Um, it's, um, uh, it's a really cool thing to do in lots of ways. It, um, it's been a, a, a really remarkable uh, study of discipline. Um, but um, anyway, um, so as I was going through First John myself, uh, reading it and thinking about it and memorizing it, I, I immediately saw how much fun this would be. 
to discuss together. And this was one of the other things that made it very, very difficult <laughs> when I was when I was trying to fend off uh, the calling to start the Bible study. Um, I was uh, I, I, one of the things that made the fending off um, very difficult. Um, and um, I uh, was that I was going through first John. And as I was going through, I was getting really excited. I, I could see how much fun it would be to discuss this together. Um, I, 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 I still, I, there was still a lot that I don't understand. There's still a lot I don't understand, but I could see like, just, I, I could see just how to do it. I'm like, okay, this is, um, this is where we're going to be. Oh, James, great question. Um, approximately how long per question? That's a really, um, uh, that's a really great question. Um, my goal is to, um, like, is to, I'm going to like five 30 is going to need to be my, my hard stop. Um, uh, I'll, I'm going to kind of play things by ear between five and five 30, basically, uh, in that range. Um, probably because it's the way I am. I'll probably go more towards five 30, but five 30 is my cutoff. Um, I have to, I'm the cook. I have to feed my family. So, uh, I'm, <laughs> I have to go at five 30. Um, but uh, James, thank you for uh, uh, for uh, uh, for asking that. I meant to mention that earlier. Anyway, um, let me um, exactly. Bible study might make one late for supper, John. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, uh, but the, hopefully that um, uh, doesn't means it uh, doesn't mean it'll be too uh, uh, it'll be too uncomfortable. Um, when I talk about John, when I talk about First John. I'm not going to be talking uh, really much at all uh, about the historical context of the book. If I were giving like a sermon um, uh, or even a series of sermons on First John, I'd probably do that. Um, you know, provide some context. But that's not what we're going to be doing here uh, at all. And let me explain why that is. I'm not saying it's never relevant. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Um, but um, little bit of a uh, little bit of Olson exegetical theory here. Um, never start a text thinking that you know what the answers are likely to be, because if you do, you will always find those answers. You'll always see what you're looking for in a text, always, in any text, no matter what it is you're looking for, you can always find it if only you look hard enough, right? Um, so a problem is if, so say, for instance, I were to start talking about like the Gnostic heresy in Asia Minor uh, in the first century uh, and, uh, you know, how this epistle, uh, you know, might have been uh, trying to address that. Well, that, notice how, like, if we talked about that, in detail and went into lots of stuff that, you know, like, so, okay, the, you know, the Gnostics around this time were teaching this. And so John was probably teaching, trying to, you know, kind of correct some of those errors and things. Well, then we'd be looking for those things now, wouldn't we? Right. We would approach the text saying, knowing what we should expect to find when we get there. Right. And I, I, I'm not, we're not going to do that. Right. We're not going to, again, I'm not saying it's never, um, it's never relevant, um, the biographical context of the author, the historical context uh, of the work. Um, that's material, rich material for further study, right? But it is very much uh, my conviction as a, as, a, as a book teacher, 
right? That you have to start with knowing the book. If you don't, um, if you go to those kinds of historical application questions without first having wrestled with the text itself and knowing well what is in the text, you're going to have a hard time even kind of approaching or examining um, that those questions. Um, same thing with secondary sources. I'm not going to be bringing in secondary sources. I'm not going to be talking about commentaries and that kind of thing, because the same thing applies there. Um, you can read a very learned commentary, and there are many brilliant people who have written brilliant things about this book. Um, and I hope that you will read some of those things eventually, but we're not going to do that here. We're not going to bring those to the text, right? We're not going to be looking at the text through the lens of other scholars who have also looked at the text. We look first at the text, and then we shall find ourselves equipped to read and evaluate the work of those scholars, um, uh, because then we will be able to uh, know better what they're talking about and what they're referring to. And you will find that your reading of, you know, once you've wrestled with the text in depth yourself, uh, you will find your reading of those commentaries um, uh, enormously more fruitful uh, than it, than it was before. It's very hard to, um, when you don't know a text at all, you should never start with a commentary. You should never, ever start with a secondary source. Always start with text. Um, because if you don't know the text, um, the commentary is always going to become a, like a cliff notes, basically, right? It's going to be telling you before you've read the text what it's about. And so when you read the text, guess what you're going to see? You're going to see that, right? Um, so so I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to be doing commentaries. We're not going to be bringing in secondary sources. Now, there's one thing um, which is, um, there's one um, sort of area of scholarship that I think is really important uh, to bring in, and we'll be doing this in some ways, uh, in various ways as we go, and that is like uh, historical and cultural linguistics. Um, that is, when we're reading the text carefully, there will be many times, many, many, many times when we need to be thinking, what does this word mean? right? There are going to be lots of times we're going to be asking the question, what does that word mean? And we need to make sure when we ask that question, we don't just mean, what does it mean in English in the 21st century, right? Um, this word that we're getting in translation. Um, uh, we need to be making sure that we're thinking about like, what does this word mean at the time, right? Um, uh, when they said this, so, so you just, let me give one really, really simple non first John example, right? Genesis one, one, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, let's take the word earth, for instance, right? What does the word earth mean when the word earth is used in Genesis chapter one, verse one, right? Um, when a modern person a modern English reader reads the word English word earth in the English translation, um, almost inescapably, we're thinking about the planet, right? Maybe even the globe, but almost certainly the planet, right? Um, but of course, there is no way that the author of Genesis 1-1 was thinking of the planet. That wasn't a concept. That wasn't even a, a vague idea of the planet, um, and so, again, we want to be careful um, when we're reading these texts that we're not 
reading them as if they were written yesterday, because they're not. These are ancient texts. Um, and uh, we need to make sure that we're thinking about them in context. I said at the beginning, I don't know Greek, and I don't. Um, but we're going to be looking at the Greek. I have, um, I have a fun, um, I'm fortunate. I, uh, I, I, I don't know Greek, but I have friends that do. And um, so at several points, we're going to be looking at an interlinear translation here um, to uh, this. So this is the Greek text. Um, this is from biblehub.com, by the way, really awesome. This is the best online interlinear I've ever seen. Many thanks to James Tauber for recommending it to me. Um, and um, anyway, so um, we're um, <laughs> John says he has that exact tab up right now. There you go. See, there it is. Um, this is going to, this is fantastic. So we're going to be looking at, um, uh, and we're, I'm not going to be using this exclusively, but I'm going to be coming back to this a lot um, because it's going to be important Not you, you don't need Greek. I'm not presupposing Greek because I don't even have it myself. Right. But what I, what we are going to do, um, we're going to be doing a lot of focusing on words and vocabulary um, in first John. And therefore, it's important that we're not, we, it's easy to be misled by an English translation, right? Because sometimes an English translation will, might translate one Greek word in, in two different ways. And so you don't even know that there's a connection there that like the original audience would have heard a connection uh, between those two things or, or the other way around, right? Might um, uh, uh, translate two things as the same word when they're not the same word uh, in Greek. So um I want to keep coming back to the Greek uh, as a kind of touchstone, especially on that kind of, a, you know, when we come to these important vocabulary words, make sure um, that we're, uh, that we're working on this. And yeah, oh man, there are so many good examples. Uh, the word sin, Christopher, I agree. Two examples people have given um, the word, um, uh, the word sin and the word grace. I agree. Both of those two words are hard words, um, hard words that we need to make sure uh, that we are um, uh, understanding what the author seems to mean by it. So how do you do that? Um, how do you approach the text, um, you know, in that kind of way? How do you, how do you, um, how do you do it? Well, how you do it. And this is how I try to do it in every, um, in every text uh, that I approach every, you know, book class that I do is to build a vocabulary from within the text itself, right? If you want to understand what an author means by the word, by a word, the first and most important thing to do is look at how the author uses that word, right? What are the patterns of usage within the author itself? And by, and I mean, within first John, by the way, um, we're not even going to be um, making a whole lot of connections to the rest of the Bible. Some of them will come up one very quickly uh, and will not surprise any of you, I think. Um, but we're going to be talking about this book essentially in isolation, uh, basically. Um, and again, I'm not saying he's not, you know, the book isn't making any connections anywhere else, but I don't want to get distracted uh, by those. One of the things that I notice is that this epistle builds what I would call an intensely closed system. It's almost like a riddle. It's almost like a riddle. It's not a riddle, exactly. Um, but I think you'll see what I mean um, uh, when I, as we get into talking about it, when I say that it's like a riddle. Um, and I really want to sort of approach it that way. Um, I think that there are some usages of some of the familiar 
vocabulary um, that are used. I, f familiar, I mean, like from other New Testament contexts in which I think John might be using them in a somewhat idiosyncratic way. Like, I, I'm not sure he means precisely the same thing by them as Paul might mean in Romans or something like that. So I'm not going to be looking at a word and then like going to Romans in order to explain what that word means. Usually like that's just not going to be my approach. First, we're going to, we're going to stick within first John. Again, I'm not saying it's inappropriate to do that. Like we can look at, you know, looking at the bigger picture, there's definitely a place for that. But, um, um, but I, I I'm going to be wanting to stick within first John for our first goal has to be, let's see how these ideas are used in this text, how these words are being used and then kind of move forward from there. Um, this brings up, and, and by the way, several of you have asked about translations. I'm getting around to it. I don't have a translation, like an in translation I insist upon. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about translations in a minute. But before I talk about translations, uh, I have one last thing. Um, okay, one last thing before translation. So I guess that's technically two things um, that I wanted to talk about. These sort of groundwork things. And um, I, that is the question of inspiration. Um, you will hear me. I've already been talking about like, you know, John says this and John uses words, uses words in these ways. And this is what I think John is talking about and what John is saying and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to use that sort of language. Um, one small footnote. Um, I have no investment in the identity of the author of this book. Um, I'm not invested in that question at all. Um, it's, I, it's my reading of this text is not premised on any interpretation of who, which John, uh, wrote that there were a bunch of Johns in the first century, uh, which first century John actually wrote this epistle. I don't know. And it doesn't actually matter a very great deal to me and none of our, um, discussion, I think, uh, will hinge upon that. But the bigger and more important issue is the issue of inspiration. Please don't think when I'm talking like that, when I'm saying John says this, or here's what I think John is trying to get at, please don't think that I am in any way reducing the divine inspiration of the text or like trying to diminish the divine inspiration of the text. Um, that is not at all what I mean. But I do say that inspiration is complex. There's a lot involved there. Um, one thing that I myself personally do not believe is that when, you know, we say the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it means that whatever John wrote this epistle was sitting there in a trance, taking dictation from the Holy Spirit and writing words of which he himself was not aware um, I do not believe that that is what inspiration means. I think that um, my brain tells me that more or less 100% of the evidence uh, of the text itself suggests that is not what the, uh, the writers of scripture themselves meant uh, by uh, inspiration, uh, the uh, scriptures being God breathed. As I say, it's, um, um, it's, complex. Inspiration is complex. In fact, if I could for a second put on my literature professor hat, um, any act of writing and reading is really complicated, right? So think about any act of writing or reading, even like sending an email 
or something like that, right? Sending and receiving an email, right? Um, you've got a whole bunch of things that are at play in any act of writing and reading, right? You start with what the author wants to say, right? The author has something in his or her head that they want to say, right? And then you have what the author actually writes in an attempt to express that thing in his or her head, right? And that's not necessarily going to be exactly the same thing as was in his or her head, right? And then you've got the thing that we read and that the thing that we receive, what we understand from what we've read that, which is not necessarily the same thing as either one of the first two things, right? Um, then there's more. There's things that we can perceive in what is written that was not necessarily the author's intention to convey to us, but was conveyed to us through the writing, can objectively be shown to have been conveyed to us by that writing, even though it wasn't the point that the author was trying to make. And then in addition, there's all of the different kind of meanings and applications of what we understand in our situation based on where we are and who we are and, and, and what we're thinking about. Um, all that's true with any act of reading, right? With any act of reading, all of those things are true. And what I say, what I believe about inspiration, the, whole, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is involved in every one of those steps along the way when it comes to the scriptures that this, yes, did the scripture inspire the ideas of what was to be said? Yes, I believe that. Did uh, the Holy Spirit um, inspire the writer who sat down to convey uh, those ideas? Yes. Uh, did the Holy Spirit, uh, does the Holy Spirit convey ideas through the writers that the writer wasn't aware of? Yeah, yeah, I sure think that that's possible. You see that happening in secular authors writing secular things. I think it's very, very possible uh, there. Um, and, uh, um, and, and of course, it's not just the writer who is inspired, right? The very same Holy Spirit uh, who was with whichever John it was who wrote this book, whom from now on I shall call John, <laughs> um, is with us as we read. Right. Um, and uh, as we read and interpret and as, you know, we hear things that are important for us to hear at this moment on this very day in our lives. Um, and so with that, actually, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be with us, that you would bless this reading and this discussion, uh, that you who were with John... <laughs> when John wrote, um, we'll be with us as we read and discuss together. Uh, thank you, Father. Um, all right. And with that, let us look at the opening passage and let's talk about, um, uh, let's talk about translations. So um, translation is always a challenge, right? We're going to be working with English translations all translation is an act of interpretation, always. It's absolutely inescapable. Um, whenever you have a translator, you have a person stand, or a group of people standing in between the text and the audience, right? And I'm very grateful to them, right? Because without them, I, you know, there would be this gulf of language that I don't understand uh, between me and the text, and I wouldn't be able to read it at all. Um, so I'm very, I'm not, I'm not, I'm of course far from saying that it's a bad thing, but the problem is you can never just be a window, 
right? You can never just be allowing, uh, as a translator, I mean, you can never just be a winner. You can never just allow the reader to read straight through you and perceive the text as it is. It isn't possible. You always have to make choices when you're deciding what English word or phrase to use to render a particular Greek word or phrase. Um, you are always making choices and those choices have interpretive ramifications. You can't avoid that. But there are, um, uh, there are degrees of this. Uh, there are very different philosophies and approaches to how you interpret a text, especially how you interpret, uh, how you translate the Bible. Um, uh, there are some translations of the Bible that set out to be as literal as possible, just, just taking the Greek and as much as they can, turning it into English. The problem there is that sometimes it ends up sounding like gibberish. Um, it, it can be really hard to understand and really hard to read because Greek is not English and doesn't work through things syntactically and grammatically like English does. And so there's even, and even when you're doing that, you're still making choices. So again, it's not possible. I'm not saying that there are some that have, you know, that are perfect. They're not perfect, but they are setting out to minimize the interpretive intervention. And there are others that go the other way. There are others. I don't want to say that they're trying to maximize the intervention, but their goal is to, not tell you what the text says, but to tell you what they think the text means um, to do sort of full-on interpretation. Let's look at two quick examples. This is from the New American Standard Bible. And if there is a default translation I'm going to use, it's going to be this one. This is from the 1995 edition of the New American Standard. Um, uh, and I'm using it because of all modern English editions, um, it is one of the most absolutely literal, as we'll see when we uh, compare it with the, uh, uh, with the Greek in places. Um, uh, we're, uh, so here's the, this is the, the more literal new, let's just read the first couple of verses of 1 John 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Um, so let's look at those two same two verses in the, this is the classic example. Um, uh, let's look at, um, I got a bunch of, let's look at the message, right? The message is the classic example of the opposite extreme, right? Here's, uh, here's the message translation. From the very first day, we were there, taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. Now, I am not saying that that's a bad translation. I'm not saying that's a bad translation. Uh, there are... I, you know, could quibble with some things. What I am saying about it is it's a very particular translation, right? Um, the original text, when you're doing this kind of thing, when you're kind of investing a particular, there's a very particular story that you're telling, right? Um, uh, there's a lot of choice going on here, right? Or rather, Choice is being made by 
um, uh, choices being made by the translator and choice and the reader is being deprived of choice, right? D take the very first phrase there. From the very first day, we were there taking it all in, okay? Well, like the, uh, the uh, NASB, what was from the beginning? Okay, that could very well mean we were there from the very first day, right? We saw it all happen. That I, 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 I do not deny that that is a potential sense of that verse, but that's one sense, right? There are many other things that the actual phrases used. And again, if we shift for a second to our Greek, right? Um, we see what we have here is a, 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 a phrase, right? A subordinate clause that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, right? Um, uh, it, it's not giving us a subject and verb from the start, right? We're not starting a sentence at the beginning. Exactly, Nicholas, we're getting all these noun clauses stacked up, right? What's John doing there? Why are we getting all this stack of clauses, right? What's he building? Well, again, many things are happening there. But of course, if we're reading the message, we're not even going to know that that opening phrase from the beginning, it's a tolerably important opening phrase in the Greek, right? Um, I said there were only a couple places where we're going to be making connections with other uh, places in the Bible, but one would come up pretty quickly and here it is, right? Um, if we don't even get the opportunity, um, if we don't even get the opportunity to hear the echo of John 1.1 and Genesis 1.1, I would argue we as readers are kind of being deprived of an experience that the text seems very interested in giving us, right? And so this is, at the end of the day, I'm, I do myself strongly prefer uh, word for word rather than thought for thought translation. Very, very strongly. Um, there are many that are in the middle. If the NASB is on the one end of the spectrum and the um and the uh the message is on the other end of the spectrum um there are lots of ones that are kind of in the middle um i have here as you saw me flip through um a whole bunch of different ones i've got the king james um and i will confess several of you have asked me which version i memorized i totally memorized the king james um i um i love the king james and i don't apologize um i do, i know i know I know, I know every objection that can be made against the King James. I know it's not based uh, on the best manuscripts, um, but I, um, I, but I love it and I'm not sorry. So anyway, yeah, I, I memorized the King James. The King James, the other thing though, that I've always liked and appreciated about the King James uh, is that it's, um, um, it's very, very, word for word. In fact, it's so word for word in places that there were like passages that I like never understood. Like, uh, you know, if you are somebody who grew up doing King James Bible studies, like, did you ever get back to, did you ever get to that passage in Philippians where Paul starts talking about uh, if there are any bowels of mercies? And I, I got to that passage in like a, a college Bible study and was like, bowels why are we talking about people's bowels right now um 
it's hey like you don't you don't have to know the idiom to translate it directly um anyway so um yeah yeah that's uh in kidneys there are kidneys uh uh in uh at least in the old testament i know that people get their reins tried reins r-e-i-n-s which in king james speak means your kidneys um anyway um uh I have several translations up here that, so I, these are the translations I've chosen for frames of reference. We're going to be looking, there, there'll be some, uh, you know, many places in our discussions of these different verses where we're going to be looking through how different translations render it to try to uh, get some sort of thoughts and ideas to see how others have interpreted uh, these words and phrases. And by interpreted, I mean even syntactically interpreted, right? How do they, how do they see these words and ideas going together? So, I've got my New American Standard. I've got my King James. Um, I've got the NIV, the New International Version. Um, uh, I've got the New Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition. Uh, I've got the Contemporary English Version, which is different. Uh, and, and I've got the message. So there we go. Um, that's, they're not on a spectrum in order, by the way. Um, the uh, new revised standard doesn't really uh, fit on the the side of the spectrum in which it seems to be uh, uh, in which it seems to be sort of uh, uh, sort of clustered. Um, yeah. Oh, and oh, I agree. Th thank you, Ma Matthew, as uh, a Bible translator by training. And he I says he just wanted to note that one of the drawbacks of word for word is not just when it's confusing, but also when it seems clear through our English lens, but doesn't mean what we think it means. Oh, absolutely. And that's exactly what I was talking about with cultural and historical linguistics. So we have to be careful. Um, uh, be careful to make sure that we're, and, and that's why my goal, and you guys can try to keep me accountable uh, on this when we are going through. Um, I wanna try to make no assumptions right? Um, try not to take for granted um, almost any. Of the, I mean, okay, there will be some particles and, and basic verbs and things that we'll probably take for granted. Um, but um, uh, anyway, we're going to, um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to try to be uh, relatively thorough in um, uh, in building our vocabulary. And, uh, but as I say, keep me accountable. And especially those of you, I know there are going to be many people uh, in this discussion, obviously who know the Greek better than I, um, and who will know the, uh, the historical linguistic context better than I. Um, so that's, um, uh, well, I, I will be uh, cheerfully relying upon uh, your your advice there. Um, oh, Kate, I was really, I, I, I had to stop myself from like doing other, I actually, Kate, true story. I actually had the Douay Rems like pasted into a slide. Um, and then I was like, you know, I can't justify it. The Douay Rems translation is uh, a phenomenally useful English translation. It's what I always quote when I'm doing medieval studies. Uh, or back when I was doing medieval studies, perhaps I should say more accurately, um, because the Douay Rems translation is basically a transla an English translation of the Latin Vulgate. Um, uh, so if you want to do an English translation of the Bible that 
medieval folks were actually reading don't get a Greek translation. That's not what they had. They had the Latin Vulgate um, and the Douay Rems translation is a very faithful translation of the Latin Vulgate. So from a me medievalist perspective, I'm so used to uh, going to the Douay Rems that I, I, I actually put it in and I'm like, no, it's we no, we don't we don't need the Douay Rems. Um, but um, uh, anyway, Michael, I okay, Michael asks, do I read Latin? Um, I did read Latin, but it's been years. My Latin is very rusty. Uh, as I've been reminded, my uh, son Matthias is taking Latin this year at school, uh, and it has been uh, uh, exhilarating trying to keep up with him and answer his questions uh, because uh, it's making me realize how much uh, um, how much I've forgotten. Um, but um, anyway, okay. So we are going to most of the time be talking about. Uh, be using the new American standard is going to be my default. Um, but as I say, we're going to be kind of flipping around. Um, so, um, all right, let's, um, uh, let's look at the beginning. It's five ten already. So we're getting close to the end, but I do want to, I do want to begin. Uh, let us start the, um, the initial process here of, building our vocabulary and seeing what's going on. Um, we're not going to read the first sentence because I don't think the first sentence ends until the end of verse three. Um, but let's read that first initial cluster of noun phrases that we were talking about. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Okay. We still haven't had a, an independent <laughs> verb, subject and verb yet, right? Um, we don't yet actually know what the sentence is about exactly here. Um, but we've, um, uh, but we're having a starting. So, uh, so, what do we get? Yes, you're right that verse one and the first half of verse three make a useful unit, and we'll come back to that. Verse two does seem to be, I agree with the dashes. Verse two seems to be parenthetical. Let's just observe that for a second. Um, I think we've, before we even come to understand anything in this book, I think we can already see some interesting things. We can already learn some interesting things about um, what, some interesting things about what John is doing and how John thinks and how John is writing or what John is doing and not doing, right? Um, I can, uh, I can also say Oh, yes, praise. Thank you for reminding me to point that out. Um, I said I agree with the dashes that the NASB gives before verse two and verse three, because, of course, the punctuation is not original. It's not in the manuscripts. Um, punctuation is editorial. Um, uh, as are the verses, the verse and chapter divisions, by the way, also not original to the text. So I mostly ignore those. Um, but um, the first thing that I notice is that this is not... John's goal does not seem to be lucid explanation of stuff, right? Um, his first priority, I think, is not, in fact, um, clear explanation, 
of things, right? He's not, um, he doesn't have a point that he's trying to get across to you, you know, no matter what. Um, this is, this is, um, um, not straightforward. Um, from the very beginning, I feel confronted with the fact that in order to understand this, I'm going to have to wrestle with this, right? This is not, this is not designed to be transparent. Um, if I'm not willing to play John's game, I'm not going to get anything out of this. And by his game, that might seem a slighting way to, to say it, but I just mean, um, I think I'm supposed to, I, the impression I get right away is that I, I, I if he were, if conveying information, um, you know, lucidly and efficiently were his goal, I'd have expected a mean subject and verb much sooner. Right. But I'm not getting it. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Joe, I wonder, um, someone was just using the word uh, mystical to describe his style. And I, I think I know what that means. I, I rather, I think I know what you mean by that. Joe was just saying, uh, could we say that John is using contemplative language, which is a similar, though not precisely the same word. Um, yeah. In the way that you're then going on to add, Joe, that it's, you're required to uh, ponder it? Yes, absolutely. Um, this is not something merely to take in. This is something to, to contemplate, to consider. That's, I think, what I meant when I said that um, as soon as I started studying and memorizing, um, it, it felt like a riddle. Um, that's what I mean. Like, a, a riddle is something, if you see it right away, it's not a very good riddle. Right. Um, but why do that? Why, um, why write like that? Like, wouldn't lucidity be a good quality, right? If you're, you know, trying to convey, uh, you're trying to teach in this way. Um, no, no, um, uh, no, it wouldn't necessarily. Um, what he has created, what he's written here is something that we have to puzzle out. We have to think through. We've got to stop and take time and work this through. Um, and again, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this epistle because uh, I really want to do this. And I know I can only really do it thoroughly, I think, uh, when I'm uh, doing it with other folks. Um, so, um, yes. Um, oh, Brian, I absolutely assume that this epistle was intended to be read aloud. Um, and yes, there is a lot of repetition in it. I do think for that reason, but it's not repetition. Exactly. Um, John, I think, often looks like he's, or sounds like he's repeating himself, but he doesn't exactly repeat himself. Um, uh, spirals rather than repeats, Matthew. I think that's a good way to think of that seems sir, perfectly, perfectly fair to me. Um, uh, John is going to develop the tautology into a, uh, into a literary art form in places uh, in this book. Um, a tautology is just when you say that one thing is, you know, uh, like a rose is a rose is a rose is a tautology, right? Um, when you say that one thing is that thing, um, that's a tautology, right? John kind of does that. My favorite, my favorite, I just recently got to this because it's in chapter five. Um, 
it was uh, my my uh, memorization verse. Um, and sorry, when I quote from memory, I'm going to quote the King James. That's why I was telling you. Um, when I got to this verse in chapter five, I just laughed and laughed. I was like, this is the most John. This is the most first John verse in all of first John, right? It's in chapter five. He says, I have written this. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up now trying to recite it. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of uh, who, who believe on the name of the son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life and that you might believe in the name of the son of God. <laughs> I'll do it again. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life and that you might believe in the name of the son of God. <laughs> and I was just like, that is John all over. I mean, that is John all over. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Um, uh, but, um, anyway, but you can see why it's going to be really important for us to build this vocabulary, right. To try to, to be able to sort of piece this stuff together. Now you were right. Um, uh, John and, um, uh, John and Serena were both pointing out how, um, um, how this epistle just starts in medius race, right. In the middle of things, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't like, you know, Paul's letters start with the salutation, right. Like, hi, Paul here, right? Writing to this person under these circumstances, little benediction, invocation, right? Let's get into things. Um, John does none of that, right? Um, We're launching straight into a thought. And again, I would emphasize, we don't know exactly what the thought is. What was from the beginning? Right. What was from the beginning, right? You, you tell me what was from the beginning, that which was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. We finally get something almost like an object of all of those verbs. Um, yeah, Mike, the beginning of what? Exactly. Um, we, d- d- the beginning of um, this story, like that is like, is it the beginning of, it could be like it said in the message, right? Um, uh, we were there from day one, right? We were there from the beginning. Um, we saw it all happen. Like it could be that, right? It could be like from the beginning of, I mean, is he talking about the story of Jesus? Is this the incarnation we're talking about? Um, or Jesus's ministry? Is that what he's testifying about and telling us about? Um, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, but it could be the capital B beginning, Mike, right? Um, what was from the beginning, like the very beginning, the beginning of all creation, right? Maybe from before creation. Um, and again, notice by putting things this way, we don't have to choose. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, I, don't, I know very little about Greek poetry. Notice that um, the contemporary English version, the CEV, renders the first verse as verse, as poetry. 
the CEV version, the word that gives life was from the beginning. And this is the one our message is about. Our ears have heard, our own eyes have seen, and our hands touched this word. Right? Notice the difference though. The word that gives life was from the beginning. Well, there you go. Right? John takes a long time to get around to anything like that. Right? Um, again, it's doing it. It's telling us this is what it's there's an irony here to me in this translation actually i have to say because it renders this as the cev renders this verse as poetry right it, it formats it as poetry um but it's actually um i want to say with respect sucking all the poetry out of the actual were the actual phrases, right? Like what, what is poetry? What does poetry do? Like when you're reading poetry, what are you reading? Like what's the point of writing in poetry instead of writing in prose? The difference is that you can say much more, right? Poetry is the way that you take words and ideas and you put them into relationship with each other, into multiple relationships with each other. And you present it to the reader in a way the reader has to interpret it. The reader has to think about it. Right. Um, and to s- some ways it appeals not just to our mind, but also to our emotions, but it's not primarily a brain versus emotion thing. I mean, I'm talking about poetry versus prose here. Um, it's also about the ways in which different meanings can be held uh, in tension. If you want to, if you're thinking about, a particular word, right? And wanting to use that word in multiple senses, like as it might be uh, arches, right? Beginning, that's what we've got here. Um, um, ar- arche, ar- arches, right? The, the chi is, is, is the, is the like, ar- arches, I think. Yeah, okay, good. Thank you. And, my, and, and let me apologize profusely for my hideous attempts to pronounce Greek. I, I don't know how to do it. Um, arches, yeah. Um, there are multiple meanings that that word can bear in this verse, right? Um, he, uh, um, he can uh, convey, again, like those, 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 you know, as Mike, as you were asking, what beginning, right? beginning of what, right? Lots of things, right? Is, it, is he talking about the beginning of the world, the beginning of creation? Is he talking about uh, the beginning of what God made manifest to humans? Is he talking about the incarnation? Is he talking about Jesus' ministry uh, and, you know, his, his gospel ministry, uh, you know, when he was walking around? Is he talking about um, the beginning of his own experience, right? I mean, like, there are lots of potential beginnings uh, that he could be referring to. And by putting it this way, he's not forcing himself or us to choose between them. They all work, right? Um, they all work. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Sarah, we are going to address the, um, I agree with you. Um, Sarah was just talking about it. Can we address the connections back to, to John 1? Um, yeah, I, I did say, I don't consider this uh, avoidable. I don't. Um, 
I'm not going to be going back to other books to try to explain words in this text. And by the way, just because I'm doing it this once doesn't get us off here, right? That doesn't mean we can we can put our case on the list of words that we now fully understand, right? We still have to look. That's going to be a really important word for John throughout this epistle. Um, in fact, even uh, if I'm correct, um, the phrase ap arches, from the beginning, right? Um, he's going to say the phrase from the beginning lots of times in this epistle. Um, Sarah, it's not always, um, uh, it's not always going to be just invoking John one. And also before that Genesis one, right. Um, uh, that again, that's not to say that's like, we can't take that as like a key, right. As uh, like, a, that's um, um, when you see the word beginning, we should always be thinking of Genesis one. Like that's, that's not, we can't do it that way. Right. I do think that that's invoked here. Um, that, that, which was from the beginning, right. There's a, there's a, uh, it, we're, we're beginning the very first word. Uh, and that's whole, right. Whole, whole, that, which uh, it's a, it's, it's a relative pronoun, right. It's, 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 it's relative. It's, it's like the introduction of a subordinate uh, phrase, right. That, that thing, that thing which was from the beginning. Um, again, it's not an independent clause. It's not saying a thing was from the beginning. It's saying that thing which was from the beginning. Um, what is that thing? And yeah, you're right. Thank you, Matthew, for my timer. We're almost done. I think we're going to get through a, a, a solid word. <laughs> Our case is <laughs> today's study brought to you by the word beginning, um, that which was from the beginning. Um, he is immediately um, uh, he is immediately going uh, for, forward uh, to um, uh, talk about experience, right? The parallel noun clauses that we get, that which was from the beginning. Right, or as the NASB has, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. All of those things are in parallel, right? So there's a common thing that all of these things have in common. And of those things, the first one, what was from the beginning, there's kind of a which of these things is not like the other situation going on here, right? All the rest of the parallel clauses are about us. Now, somebody, and I'm sorry, it went by a long time ago, and I've forgotten who said it. Um, but uh, um, it is Kate, maybe? I remember. Um, really interesting that we're in the plural, right? We. It's we all the way through. And I'm pretty sure that's true. Where's our verbs? Um, uh, right. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. First person plural. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. See, I love this. The voice, It gives me the grammatical cheat here from somebody who does know Greek, which is very helpful. Um, otherwise, you know, the word, what, akekaman? I don't know how to pronounce that word. But anyway, I wouldn't have any, any idea how that's being conjugated, right? But I'm being told it's first person plural. So there we go. Um, and this one, we have seen per, first person plural 
um, and uh, we have gazed upon or looked upon, first person plural, um, and we have handled, first person plural. So the verbs are all plural, in fact. For, for first person plurals, we're getting um, all the way through, uh, all the way through the text there. So, okay. Um, yeah, that is really interesting. Um, what does he mean by that? Is uh, like the, the, the writer of the epistle, I mean, what does John mean by, by we there? Um, is he including us in a sense? Is he writing on behalf of himself and others? Right? What, what does he mean by we exactly? Um, uh, inviting us to be included, yeah, in some ways. Um, I wonder, right? Um, but uh, but we'll we'll see. By the way, you'll you'll notice I'm doing a lot of this, um, and this is the, was be the last thing. I guess the last thing I'll, I'll say is an apology. Um, my I, uh, some of you know my methods, right? But um, uh, I think it's very important when you're studying a, a, a text closely like this. The first thing you have to do is make observations. You can't jump to conclusions right away. You can't leap forward towards conclusions right away. Um, you have to. You have to. You have to get the data first, right? First, you have to have your data, and then you can draw conclusions from your data. Um, so, uh, there will be a bunch of times when I'm going to. I might turn some of the things that you say. Uh, into an observation, it, it, you know, you might be suggesting like an interpretive statement about it. Um, and you may notice that I'll take your interpretive statement and I'll kind of draw the observation out of it, mostly because I want to put it in the pool, right? Um, because what we need to do is to put all together the observations and then we draw conclusions from that, right? Um, and that means sometimes that can be frustrating. Sometimes you, you want, might want to sort of follow a, follow a thread and I'm going to kind of resist following the thread uh, for, for a while until we kind of see how all these multiple threads kind of go together. Um, but I'm not going to resist drawing conclusions forever, both conclusions and applications. I'm hoping that we do. And yeah, Randall, I agree. Verse three is going to clarify things a little bit. That's why it's important to wait, right? Um, and why I have, I, even though I knew I wasn't going to finish verse one today, um, why I put all four verses up there. Uh, because this is the this seems to me to be the first kind of thought, right? The first uh, uh, segment, right, of uh, what John is giving us. So I want to be wrestling with this passage uh, for probably a few more weeks here. Um, but uh, anyway, all right, I'm going to um, um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to stop there because I have to feed my family uh, and I don't want to keep you guys too long. I am going to be posting recordings of this uh, to uh, a YouTube recording and, uh, um, and uh, a podcast audio recording. Um, so, um, uh, you, you know, folks can, uh, you know, listen who can't happen to be here at this time. Uh, so anyway, thanks for joining me. I know we didn't get too much, too, too, we didn't get too far. We didn't even get to talk about the text for too long today. But having done the preambulatory stuff uh, today, we can jump straight into the text next week. Um, on my the little uh, Rinky-Dink website I made uh, for the discussion, I'm going to be trying to keep updated um, the uh, my, my availability. I do sometimes travel for um, uh, for work uh, to do conferences and stuff with folks. Um, so there are sometimes I'm going to be away weekends and I'm just not going to be able to meet that week. Um, so I'm going to try to keep you guys posted. But as far as I know, I will be clear for the rest of February. Um, and uh, next week, 
we will be done in time for me to get to my brother's house and watch the Super Bowl with him and his family. So uh, that'll 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 still be happening. Anyway, um, thank you guys so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Looking forward to really rolling up our sleeves and um, who knows, discussing the rest of uh, the rest the rest of verse one maybe uh, next time. Uh, so thanks everybody, and I will see you guys next week. Bye now. Thanks again for listening to Students of the Word. I'll be uploading the recordings here every week that we hold a live session. So thanks for following along, and may God bless you in your studies and throughout the week.